Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Good evening, children of the night. Thanks for joining us this evening in the cabin. In fact, this will be our last night in the cabin for a little while, because next week we'll be on a bit of a summer road trip. We've got a story for you this evening, but first up, a bit of show business. Some sad news. Rock Manor will be leaving his position as submissions editor. Real-life career things are speeding up for him, so he's winding down his time here. I still fully intend on leaning on him to do narrations from time to time, but here's a bit of a shout-out to one of his projects. Manor House just started a contest for an illustrated anthology special called Gathering Dark. You can read all about it and its details on the manorhouse.com website. Link will be in the show notes. All people have to do is enter in is sign up for Manor House's RIP section. Thank you for your time with us, Rock. For those of you listening that think you might be able to fill Rock's shoes, uh, write us at talestoterrify at gmail.com. Philip and I are not in an enormous rush to take on our next submissions editor because our submissions are closed as we get caught up on a few things behind the scenes, but we will need one, so stay tuned in future episodes for more details. As I'm sure you all heard in my announcement during the Stoker shows, we made our current funding, so we're looking good for now, although any money that's sent our way now will push back the next time we have to come a-begging. Also, that announcement I added to the feed was a bit of me hitting the record button and just talking. Usually I have some semblance of a script or framework of what I want to talk about. Listening to that now, I certainly did have a lot of ums and uhs in there. I'll have to stick with the script for the future. 
This past week, AMC's Fear the Walking Dead, the, um, is it a spinoff? Well, it's a storyline that takes place in the Walking Dead world. Its first episode aired this past week. I found it to be a bit of on the slow side as it focused on character development, but I'm optimistic. It does have a character that is a junkie and reminded me of one of my all-time favorite zombie books, Fiend, by Peter Stenson. Links to both will be in the show notes. Also, in this past week, there was a piece in The Atlantic by Philip Eel titled The Unlikely Reanimation of H.P. Lovecraft. 125 years after his birth, the author known for his eerie tales and his racist beliefs has had one of the biggest comebacks in Western literature. I won't go into a lengthy conversation about my thoughts on the piece, but I did find it thought-provoking and relevant to our interests, Children of the Night. So, I'll leave a link in the show notes and encourage you to give it a read. And finally, by the time this episode goes up, our Art on the Tales to Terrify homepage should have been updated to feature Simon Allen's King in Yellow. Simon is a CGI artist living in London town with his painter wife and willfully unemployed eight-year-old daughter in a rambling 1930s house complete with its own secret passage. For fun, he designs and sells 3D printed metal jewelry. See his work at nogunarmy.com. Link will be in the show notes. On to what you came here for, the fiction. Our story for the evening is brought to us by Arthur Davis. Arthur is a management consultant and has been quoted in the New York Times, Crane's New York Business, and interviewed on New York TV News Channel 1. He has taught at the New School University, lectures on leadership skills for CEOs, and has given testimony as an expert on best practices before the United States Senator John McCain's Investigating Committee on Boxing Reform and appeared as an expert witness on best practices before the New York State Commission on Corruption in Boxing. He has written 11 novels and over 130 short stories. Over 50 stories have been published in 35 magazines online and in print. The Amsterdam Quarterly, the Netherlands, hosted their 2014 Yearbook East Coast Launch Party on January 17, 2015 at the Anne Frank Center in New York City. He was one of the guest authors and read from Roy Desert's Motel, which they published in September 2014. The editors of Calopy, the original publication of the writer's special interest group of American Mensa Limited, nominated his story, Conversation in Black, for the 2015 Pushcart Prize. His story for the night will be Dining with the Devil. Daniel Sutherland tightened the braided black and red silk cord around his waist and smoothed over the apron it was holding in place. Ricardo had repeatedly cautioned him that casual appearance compromised presentation, and the restaurant business was first about presentation, then cuisine. The imposing owner and chef's word was absolute. His impeccable standards had propelled, in only two years, Le Refuge Rouge to become one of the most sought-after cafes along New York's fabled Madison Avenue. Daniel chastised himself for his sloppiness and walked over to the new patron, who had already been seated at table 13. Good afternoon, sir, and welcome to Le Refuge Rouge. Would you care for a drink? No, the man answered without looking up. The man at table 6 finally signaled for a check. Daniel glanced at his watch. Two hours to eat a spinach salad. 
I will have an order of our warm biscuits and sparkling water brought to your table. That's not necessary, Daniel promptly asked. Then may I suggest our specials? I know what I want. The man's voice was hollow, yet deep and commanding. The menu and wine list went untouched at the far side of the table. What would you like? I want the soul of a man. Daniel's pen paused over the small order pad. Excuse me? The soul of a man. You do have that here, don't you? Daniel looked around the reserved confines of Le Refuge Rouge, hopeful that the request went unnoticed. The location of the tables at the exclusive Upper East Side restaurant were designed to ensure unaccustomed privacy and, with luncheon entrees running from 75 to over $100, the sanctuary had become a haven for hedge fund managers, investment bankers, industrialists, fawning politicians, ladies who lunched, and, especially in this city, its share of crazies. You just needed to know how to handle them. We have what's on the menu, sir, Daniel said, first noticing that the man was wearing a long, black silk cape. The fresh Chilean sea bass is delicious. Or you could have the black skillet mussels uh, as an appetizer or main dish. The house specials are the foie gras terrine with uh, pepper jelly, potato risotto, or the beef filet and red wine and shallots. The man looked up and stared into Daniel's unsure eyes. The skin covering his face was stretched taut over bones revealing a harsh angularity that radiated indifference. You do prepare specials. I mean, for some particular guests, you will create something quite original, wouldn't you? Uh, yes, Daniel said. Then be good enough to do as I asked. Daniel now visibly shaken, wrote down one soul and marched back into the kitchen. Who's the ghoul at table 13? Katie asked and rushed by with two steaming bowls of French onion soup on her serving tray. Daniel fastened the order to the metal spring clasp over the chef's station and went about his business, which included managing seven of the other 28 tables. By the time he filled his tray again with food for the three businessmen squabbling discreetly at table 18, he hoped table 13 would be abandoned. He delivered two orders of grilled guinea hen palar with foie gras mousse to the young couple at table 15, and gave a check to the two women who had just polished off their warm, sticky toffee puddings at number 10, and could feel two eyes burning a hole in the back of his head. He turned and moved toward 13. Yes, sir? I don't like to wait. Daniel tried not to look directly into the man's eyes. I gave your order directly to our chef. Then I am certain he will attend to it immediately, the man said, turning his attention to the beautiful blonde sitting alone at the far side of the restaurant. Daniel checked his wristwatch. Only an hour left, and he would be off to his graduate acting workshop at New York University's prestigious Cunningham Film Institute with the story no one would believe. He watched Katie cross to the single man at Table 9, gulping down his dessert while skimming through the Wall Street Journal. Daniel tightened his belt, recalling his penchant for indulging in the unsold desserts, 
especially Ricardo's famously infamous chocolate tart with bittersweet caramelized orange peel, which was also one of Katie's favorites. In the three weeks since she'd started, they'd shared many culinary indecencies, in addition to a love of opera, ballet, early Woody Allen movies, and the Marx Brothers. A sickening feeling welled up in his stomach. First, the crazy lady at Table 10 last Monday, loudly insisting that the butter used by Le Refuge Rouge was really margarine, as if Ricardo would ever permit such poison in the back door. And now, Count Dracula wanted a soul food special. Daniel thought to ask if he wanted the soul rare, medium, or well done. He returned to Table 13. I'm sorry, sir. We're fresh out of soul. Daniel finally noticed the man's large hands. They were unusually smooth, long, and narrow. His fingernails were manicured and polished and practically cut to a point. They were the hands of a man who had never raised anything more substantial than an idea. Daniel guessed the man was about fifty, maybe a few years or a few hundred years older. I don't think you understand my request, young man, the man said, standing to the full measure of his six-foot-seven-inch frame. Customers nearby stopped eating and gaped at the man's towering, dark presence. I didn't ask if you had any. I don't care whether you do or you do not. That's of little consequence to me. I ordered a very special dish. Where or how you collect the ingredients is your chef's concern, though it is my belief that if you presented my request to him, I will be satisfied with the outcome of his efforts. Daniel was caught by the man's hand on his shoulder. Those long, delicate fingers dug deep into his shirt until he winced. Uh, Let me check our stock again. Daniel, do not check the stock. If you did as you were instructed, that's all I require of you. Daniel was startled that the man knew his name, or that Ricardo might know how to prepare such a dish. He pulled away. My apologies, I'll see to it immediately, sir, he said, wrote up another slip and handed it directly to Ricardo, something usually frowned upon in this class of kitchen. I don't need two he said, nodding to Daniel and slowly walking to the back of the kitchen. The pain in Daniel's shoulder had worked its way into his back. Sweat slicked his face. Hadn't anybody out there noticed the monster in the black cape, black suit, and red satin tie, with the slick back hair and blood-stained eyes? Oh my god. The man had red eyes, Daniel suddenly realized. You look sick, Katie mentioned, washing her hands. A bit of a problem at 13. He's very handsome. Is he one of your actor friends come in for a handout? She winked. The moment he returned to the dining room, that man at 13 waved him over. After a while, he looked up, his faint grin collapsing into frozen resolve. Young man, either I have the soul of a man on my table in five minutes, Or I'll take yours, and when I'm finished, I will take the soul of your little girlfriend over there. I believe her name is Katie. 
The pain in his shoulder grew with every breath, as if his fingers were embedded in his flesh. Now the man threatened him and Katie. He should call the police. Ricardo had to be told. This was no longer a joke or the whim of a madman. Daniel walked cautiously over to the preparation counter and spotted an oversized dish with steam bubbling fanatically out of a brothy, brown and gray mass he had never encountered in his three years of waiting tables, from the smallest coffee shop to this retreat. It looked like squashed sweetbread and smelled quite foul. For a second he thought he saw something undulate between the crevasses of the grapefruit-sized mass. There were no vegetables or garnish. Use your side towel, Ricardo instructed, standing on the other side of the counter. And do not speak to him after you serve it. Just walk away. Are you all right? Daniel, do exactly as I say. Now, just go do it, Ricardo said and began to wash his hands with disinfectant. He grabbed the side towel, folded it on his apron, and pinched his hand around the lip of the plate. It was searing, scalding hot, hotter than any dish he had ever seen. He quickly doubled the towel over once, then again before grasping the scorching blade. He walked through the swinging doors as if he was carrying his own heart in his hands. He gently set down the plate and, without thinking about Ricardo's instructions, asked the man if there would be anything else. Send a bottle of Chateau Lafitte Rochille, 1982, to that table, he said, nodding toward the blonde woman sitting alone by the window. It was not uncommon for him to present a bottle of wine or champagne, though, hardly one so expensive, to a beautiful woman. Invariably, the man would make his presence known in his own time. Once, he had seen Katie deliver a fine Riesling to a woman from another woman. He couldn't recall how that offering played out. Two older, elegantly dressed women came into the restaurant. They were seated near the front window after being reassured by the maitre d' that Le Refuge Rouge was still serving lunch. Both glanced over at the man in the cape. Daniel wanted to warn them off, as he prayed he could do for the woman who was waiting for the Lafitte Rochille. He wished he had stayed in bed this one chill, overcast March day, heeding his horoscope's warning that he would be better served, avoiding responsibility rather than exposing himself to great risk. The man had not picked up a spoon or added seasoning. His hands rested on the table. Not a hint of movement or intent. He was staring down into the still roiling mass. Daniel checked the status of his other tables and walked into the kitchen. It was just three o'clock. Katie and the two other waiters were checking their final orders. Ricardo stood alone, going over the evening menu when Daniel approached. I know who he is, Ricardo said before Daniel could speak. That's all you have to know. Is he a friend? Who he is doesn't concern you or anybody. Daniel walked out to the back alley, still stinging from Ricardo's tone. Katie was standing. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. 
United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ending next to the four-story brick building, taking her second drag. After smoking two packs a day for eight years, the 26-year-old ex-artist and dancer from Helena, Montana, had worked herself back to half a pack a day. She quickly crushed out the embers against the side of the building. Daniel thought she was pretty and sexy, and completely distrustful of her past. Kenny, one of the waiters, claimed she had been a backup singer with a rock group in Los Angeles. To Daniel... That meant drugs, alcohol, and having sex with every man with an instrument, musical or not. He knew his assessment was harsh, but he couldn't help himself. He was no preg, nor was he particularly accepting of every lifestyle. You look like you've got yourself a winner there. Uh, You've noticed. Everyone has. So, what do you think I should charge him for a human soul? Her eyes widened with surprise. He ordered what? A human soul. A shudder swept through her body. She wrapped herself in her own arms, wishing they belonged to Daniel. That's disgusting. Evil, I think. Did you ask, Ricardo? Katie asked, suddenly aware she was fantasizing about what Daniel looked like under his apron. If she could only be certain, he was as curious about her as she was about him. I did. What did he say? Uh, He said he would take care of it and not to return to 13 until the guy left. He shouldn't be here, whoever he is. Look at him, sucking up every last drop of that sloth like an animal over its prey. What is that shit anyway? Daniel wanted to call the police, or at least warn Katie. How could he tell her about the man's threat? He should have told Ricardo. That was a mistake. Animal. The guy's straight out of a 1950s horror flick. Well, Ricardo knows who he is, and he's frightened. And I've seen him scream obscenities in the face of hardened city health inspectors. The guy would stare down the devil if he had to. Moreover, this was no 50s horror flick. He had a half hour left on his shift. He asked Kenny if he could cover his tables if he left early, knowing that Daniel must have first cleared the request with Ricardo. 
Daniel dashed into the back, changed into his street clothes, and was secluded in a delicatessen across the street when the man with the cape came out of Le Refuge Rouge a half hour later. The man glanced up and down Madison Avenue. His cape flapped wildly in the breeze. He half expected the guy to spread his cape and fly away. Instead, he removed a cigarette from a silver case, lit it, looked up directly into the late afternoon mist, and started walking. There was a grace, a slow fluidity about him, as if he were being whisked along by an unseen force. Women turned appreciatively as he walked. Daniel glanced down at his watch again. He had to get down to class. His instructor was as insistent on punctuality as performance. Then, just as he decided to wait another few minutes before rushing to the subway, the man turned directly toward him. A city bus passed in front of him and blocked out the visage of the man's glare. When the light changed and the bus moved on, the man was no longer in sight. Daniel looked up and down Madison Avenue and peered into a few of the retail shops. He went back into the restaurant and found Ricardo standing alone in the back alley where he had been talking to Katie. He assumed she had already left for her other job. There is a malevolence about him. Ricardo thought for a while. You may be right. What did you serve him? The chef was half a foot, half a hundred pounds, and half a life older than Daniel. He had a reputation for being uncompromising with his standards and staff. You don't want to know too much. Why? What would happen if I knew? Daniel offered, the actor in him crying out with curiosity. For answers. For a way to separate himself from the rest of the flock that got parts he might have earned. You could go to sleep with the curse of his glare in your memory and wake up in the middle of the night with his thoughts corrupting your heart. Is that what he's done to you? It doesn't matter. He's gone. Ricardo, what's he done to you? He has done everything to me, he said, his hands covering his face in despair. He has left me with little else other than my craft, which, strangely enough, also serves his needs from time to time. He has taken everything that is dear to me, including my father and sister, as well as the spirit of my mother. Daniel was jarred by the image of this large, powerful man being reduced to such a state. How? Please. He sat at my table and looked into my eyes, like he knew what I was thinking and where I would hide if he ever wanted to find me. He ordered the soul of a man, and got his dish, and spoke to me as though if I did not do as he wished, he would reach into my chest and squeeze the life out of my heart. Ricardo nodded. Be thankful if that's all he takes. What do you mean? Ricardo liked Daniel. The boy gave him an honest day's work, and had no attitude or agenda. He was fair to a fault and minded his own business. It doesn't matter. He said he had asked for that dish before. He has been at my doorstep once a year, whenever I've worked. Ricardo, please, who is he? You do not understand. Who is he? You may pay a high price for your curiosity. Please. Then I will, if only... To have you stop questioning me. And believe me, that whatever you tell me will stay with me and die with me. It was a line from the play Daniel was rehearsing. 
though he meant every word of it. Be careful what pledges you make, Daniel. What you take to the grave may visit you long after you've drawn your last breath. I'm listening. I swear on the grave of my father and sister that this man is the Prince of Darkness. I'm listening, Daniel said, already accepting the unreality. There is little to tell besides the truth, and that's impossible to believe, Ricardo began. I came from a small village in northeast Spain near the French border. It's not noteworthy in any other sense except for the bond of our people and their proud heritage. My father was a town clerk, a civil servant. My mother, bless her soul, gave birth to four children. I was the last. A terrible pestilence swept through our valley two years after I was born, ravaging men and women, but mostly the very young. Both my older brothers died in the scourge. I survived, along with my sister. I'm sorry. He visited my parents some years later. He came into her home one night and told them who he was and what he had come for. They were to do his bidding when and if he asked for a period of one year. There was no surprise in their eyes, only disappointment that their home had been chosen in order that my village would be spared. He had visited other houses over the years since our village sprang from the mountain landscape. He had cursed us forever. No family went untouched by his cruelty. Ricardo's gestures, his words, were anguished. Daniel suddenly had no interest in knowing the tale that was unfolding in front of him. But it was already too late. It was as if he were looking at a train wreck that couldn't be stopped, and he was a part of that oncoming disaster. I was too young to understand the custom that had plagued my village and my parents in the homes of their parents' relatives and friends for generations back since the darkest part of Europe's dark ages. There were no radios or newspapers to expose this evil, no science to delve into its corrupting power, no police and no government strong enough to protect them from this inhuman incarnation. But my father hesitated, and in that one tragic moment, this man, who goes by no name, swept his hand out like a giant scythe, and in that gesture took the breath from my little sister's lungs. My mother fell to her dying side. My father cried out in rage and fury. The arm my father raised against this man was cut from his shoulder in a flash. Severed clean by the sword his fingers became. They reached out and just cut off his arm to the shoulder. My father bled to death, crying in the arms of my mother and his only surviving child. After some time his fury subsided, though not until his breath charred the wooden walls of our home. He demanded that the soul of a man be prepared for him every time in retribution for the insult that had been hurled against him by my father. It was also a lesson for our village, which had been visited by him, as I said, since long as anyone could recall. My God! <sighs> if only there was one, Tanya. 
If only there was one. What about your family? My mother pledged she would prepare it until her son was old enough to carry on with his command, which is what I do each and every year. And whenever he shows up, I am reminded of my doomed sister and the anguished death cry of my father and all of those damned souls who went into the night before them. Whatever he was prepared for, this horror was beyond his imagination. From a simplistic view of good and bad, there was never a manifestation of evil. Evil in the heart of man was regrettable, terrible, not personified except in movies, theater, and books and tales parents told their children to scare them into curtailing their mischief. That's almost impossible to believe. Believe what you want. Can I ask you where you got whatever it was you served him? You can ask, of course. But I would never reveal what I had to do to obtain such a thing. He could not believe what he was hearing, and yet, if you had been at his side and witnessed the suffering and this man's defeated face, you would not doubt a word of his tale. What about the cape? The whole get-up? It all looks like it came from central casting. You have it backwards. Everyone has. I don't understand. He didn't get it from central casting, as you referred to his costume. They got it from him. And over the centuries, from scattered reports from small cities and villages all over the world. That's the irony of it all. Many have seen him in his travels, and that encounter, however afar, will always remain in their minds. That's what he wore thirty-seven years ago in my home. That's what he wore a hundred and thirty-seven years ago in someone else's home, in another poor village in some other part of the world. That's what he will be wearing a hundred years from now in some ravaged village in Africa or India or Central America. Can't we do something? We can call the police and they will laugh at us. We can call the newspapers, but what will they investigate, besides our sanity? And the people of your village? You have seen the merest fraction of his rage. Would you be willing to expose the truth if it meant hundreds, maybe thousands, would be consumed in the effort to uncover his identity, as well as every member of your family and every one of their friends? Daniel quickly grasped the implications of Ricardo's warning, but persisted. We have to do something. We just did. Ricardo said, getting up. We gave my mother and my village another year of life. Daniel watched Ricardo walk back into the restaurant as Katie came out in her street clothes. What was that all about? Daniel didn't know what to say. I thought you left already. No, I'm working on a catering job with Kenny this weekend for some extra loot. We just had to go over some last-minute details. I have rehearsals Saturday and Sunday, or I'd be there too. I could use the money. You look like you could use a stiff drink. <sighs> that too. I guess my idea about following that guy wasn't so great. No, you were right. I just had to come back before I went to class. I followed him for a while until I got bored. It was nothing with nothing. And you're probably right about him being an actor. Are you sure? 
Trust me, Katie. Then was anything wrong with Ricardo? No, nothing, but do you know where he worked before he came here? All over, I've heard. Rome for a long time after he left Spain and Madrid, I think. Then Montreal, Canada. I think he was in Los Angeles for a while. God help him. He's been working here in the city for about five years now. I didn't know any of that. Ricardo was an okay guy. He never hit on me or any of the girls, or guys for that matter. Daniel had no intention of breaking a confidence, especially with Ricardo, and most especially with this tale of tales. I like him. Do you want to pick me up after the catering is over? Daniel wanted to. He and Katie had been growing together since he started flirting with her only weeks ago. But now, well, he was distracted. I'll see. I'll let you take me home and ravage me. All he could think of was Ricardo's mother, living out every day in fear that her son might fail to provide the devil with his due. I'll let you know tomorrow. What makes you think my offer is going to be there tomorrow? Katie said and grew angry and walked away. Daniel replayed every word of Ricardo's story, resolved that someday he would draw upon the despair of such a character from one of his roles. Since he could do little else to relieve Ricardo's burden, perhaps honoring him by exploring the range of his suffering would make a difference. He took a deep breath and forced the image of the man from his mind. He had never ravished a woman. At this moment, all he wanted was to find her and tell her how pretty she was. He also wanted to check the refrigerator for any chocolate tarts with bittersweet caramelized orange peel that he could use as a peace offering to her. He did both. That was Arthur Davis's Dining with the Devil, as read by Drew Sabastini. Drew's no stranger to horror, having weathered many a winter in the bleak, frozen wastes of the Canadian prairies. By day, Drew's an avid practitioner of the dark arts of advertising, as a copywriter and creative director for a local ad agency. In the evening, though, he turns his talents to good, spinning tales with words, pictures, and sound. You can find some of his commercial work at b.net slash drewing. Link will be in the show notes. Thank you, Drew. And that will be our show for the evening. Next week, we'll take a bit of a vacation south for the summer. So be sure to join us again next week for another episode of Tales to Terrify.
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 